you no longer have not enough customers knowing about your company, you have too many. And because you haven't taken a look at putting in a solid foundation to make sure that everything operationally can grow and scale along with the demand for your product or service, you can actually still lose your company, even though you have more business. Friends, welcome to a new episode of the Professional Lounge. This is your host, Dr. Solomon. Why successful entrepreneurs fail? And who will be better to answer this question than Alicia Butler-Pierre, a friend, a dear professional colleague who published a book about business infrastructure and will share answers for this question. Alicia is the CEO of a company named Equilibria, which she founded 15 years ago. And we will delve with her deeper into what made her decide to leave a stable career, such as chemical engineering, to go into entrepreneurship. Alicia, welcome on The Professional Lounge. Thank you, Dr. Solomon. I'm so happy to be here. Happy to have you. We talk offline a lot, and I truly, truly value the energy you bring to the conversation. Thank you. Thank you. I, I have to, right? Because what I usually, what I specialize in working on, people consider to be very boring. So I have to liven it up a bit. <laughs> so let's start with your journey, Alicia. What was the decision process behind making this bold move to become entrepreneurs instead of pursuing a stable career such as chemical engineering after graduation? So I actually did work as an engineer. Mm -hmm. I worked as an engineer for about eight years. Mm -hmm. And I noticed something very quickly in my career as an engineer. Mm -hmm. I was working inside of chemical plants and oil refineries, and I quickly learned, Dr. Solomon, that I knew the science and the engineering behind the work, but I didn't understand the business decisions that drove the things that we were told to do on a day-to-day -day basis. So, for example, we might be told, okay, we need to run at full capacity this week, and then next week, we need to reduce production down to about 80%. Well, from an engineering and a scientific perspective, yes, I can make that happen, but why? Why are we doing that? And that's where the business decisions came into play. And a quick funny story, when I worked at Monsanto, which was my first job out of college, we were assigned an accountant for every single business unit. And once a month, that accountant would come and have a meeting with all of the engineers within that particular unit and go over the balance sheet and profit and loss statement. And it was like they spoke another language. I'm sure it was I so I just exciting. didn't understand yeah. it. And so, again, I thought, hmm, okay, so there are these business decisions that are driving our production production levels and the capacity at which we operate on a day-to-day -day basis, yet I don't understand why. And then when we look at these numbers to let us know if we're on target or maybe not on target, but I, I don't really understand what these CPAs and accountants are saying. So that's when I decided to go to business school. So I actually worked full-time during the day. I went to, I enrolled into Tulane University's professional MBA program. So I would go to school at night and I knew that I did not want to be in a chemical plant, honestly, for the rest of my career. And so I saw the MBA as a tool to enable me to transition from being a traditional chemical engineer to maybe something where I could still be on the more technical side, but in a business type setting. And so I 
abruptly quit my job. And at that point, I was working at a, a smaller engineering consulting firm. This was in New Orleans, Louisiana. And I just had this feeling, Dr. Solomon, that I couldn't shake just this nagging, intuitive thought that you need to get out, leave this place behind. I couldn't explain it. And this happened around late August, early September of 2004. And a tropical storm passed through the city. New Orleans floods very easily. I was stuck in my home. And I remembered thinking to myself, I've got to get out of here. And about a month after that experience, because the, you know, I thought I was about to drown to death, but that's a, that's another story. <laughs> um, I decided that I needed to, I quit my job. I finished school. I graduated with my MBA that December, 2004, two weeks later, I put my house up for sale. And the first week of February, 2005, I relocated to Atlanta, Georgia, where I knew one person. So of course, everybody thought I was completely out of my mind. You know, you, you quit a job to your point. I had a, I had a very stable life in new Orleans. I really did. I had my own home. In fact, I owned two homes by the time I was 27 years old, very good, good paying job, great paying job actually with great benefits. I was going to school. I had two degrees at this point. Why on earth would you leave all of that behind and go into the unknown? But again, there was just this intuitive, nagging thought and feeling that I had to leave. And of course, six months later, Hurricane Katrina happened in New Orleans. So that's what that's what got me to Atlanta, Georgia. And then once I once I relocated here, Dr. Solomon, Atlanta seemed, to be honest with you, it seemed like this land of milk and honey. All of these Fortune 500 companies that had a presence here, you know, Home Depot is, is headquartered here, the Coca-Cola company, Newell Rubbermaid, UPS, Delta Airlines. And I thought, oh, surely one of these companies is going to hire me. They're going to be beating down my door. I'm a chemical engineer with a newly minted MBA. The world is mine. And the world was not mine. <laughs> um, it wasn't enough. There are a lot of smart people here, very competitive environment. And so after within my first two months of, of living here, I realized for the amount of time, effort and energy that I was spending in trying to look for a job working for someone else, I could redirect that same time, effort and energy into creating an opportunity for myself. And that's how my company started. Wow. So when you moved to Atlanta, you were not thinking about starting your own business per no, se. No, I was not. No. I was looking for a job. I I envisioned myself working at Coca-Cola, to be honest with you, because in business school, we studied, they, they were, Coca-Cola was always in some type of a case study. And yes. I thought, oh my gosh, wouldn't it be great because I know I understand the chemical processes for making the syrup and I would understand the bottling process and then to be able to work on the corporate side with my, you know, leveraging the things that I learned in my MBA education. But nope, that didn't happen. I did end up doing many things with Coca-Cola, but it was as a consultant and not as an employee. Wow. And how things turned on from that point after the six months now you are on your journey to start something on your own in a city that 
you do not know many people in. Right. How did this happen? I always understood the value of networking. And when I first moved here, this was when we still used phone books. (laughs) So I would look through the phone book. I always, and I always looked for the business, the local business publications. Mm-hmm. And I would start to read that one of one of them was the Atlanta Business Chronicle, and they produce a almost the equivalent of a who's who list across different industries. Mm-hmm. So it really enabled me to understand the business landscape of the city, all of the different chambers of commerces. And I just started attending these different meetings of different organizations, professional organizations, networking organizations. And I ultimately decided which ones I wanted to join. And then once I joined them, I literally remember going to Office Depot, buying an Avery pack of business cards that you could put through your inkjet printer. I made up some business cards. I knew I wanted the name of my company to be Equilibria, but Equilibria was actually a professional organizing company when it first started. And I printed these business cards and I would just go out networking. And the way I started to build up my client roster, I always offered to organize until eventually I could just start charging from the the onset. Wow, what a story. And what kept you motivated during these periods, especially when you have self-doubt if this is going to work or you know what? I should go back to Louisiana. That's not going to happen, Doctor. <laughs> <laughs> back, back when you started, like this was not. Even oh, it's thought. no. You're right. You're absolutely right, and I'm I'm so glad you asked that question because it's very difficult to turn off the noise. And what I mean by the noise, your family and your friends. Let's start there. They mean well. They really do, and they're fearful for you. Yes. But because they don't understand and they don't see what you see, mm-hmm. it's difficult to to turn to to tune them out because you love them. These are mm-hmm. people that you love and that you trust and that you know want the best for you. Indeed. And so I I have developed coping mechanisms. You're a psychiatrist, so I'm sure you'll appreciate this. I've learned to, especially with my mother, I've learned to just say, oh, everything's fine. It's great. Oh, couldn't be better. And I could be dying on the inside, but I know the minute I say, well, you know, last week was rough or I had a bad month. Oh, you know, well, I was looking in the paper just this morning and they're hiring chemical engineers. Back here at home, why don't you come on and apply for a job? You know, so (laughs) 15 years later, you know, I'm still having these kinds of conversations. So I've just learned to be very careful about what I share with close family and friends. But to, to get back to your original question, how do I keep myself motivated? I love reading a great autobiography of another successful person even if that person isn't necessarily an entrepreneur, but just someone who has just, who had that Mm stick-to-itiveness despite all of the odds and they just kept going. That helps watching documentaries, biographical type documentaries, but also having a support group. Mm -hmm. That I would say more than anything, your friends that you grow up with, 
won't understand your life as an entrepreneur unless they themselves are also entrepreneurs. I have found that my fellow peers who have also started something from scratch and they're grinding and they're hustling and they're putting themselves out there and, and you know, you don't, it can be a while before you start to see a return on that investment of your time and your money and your effort and your energy, but you have to keep yourself going and having that small group of people around you where you're almost kind of starting out together around the same time, that has been tremendous for me in, in, in preserving my mental health, for keeping me going and for not judging me. If I say, you know, I had a, I had a bad day yesterday. I just couldn't get out of bed. I don't, I can't explain it. I don't know what happened. Mm -hmm. And to know that they're not going to look at me or, or judge me harshly because they know that feeling too. Yes. Do you still tell your mom everything is terrific? Oh yes, of course. Yeah. Of and course, she still Dr. buys Sarah. into it. Yes. As long as I tell her everything's fine, you know, she might try to probe a little bit more, but I'm like, no, every, everything is great. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I hope she's not watching us now. Oh, she will see this. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, mom. <laughs> oh, she said that, not me. <laughs> so, Alicia, now let's talk about your new book, Business okay, Infrastructure. Yes. yes, yes. We both know operation is not the sexiest topic that leaders and entrepreneurs would like to talk about. What do you mean exactly by business infrastructure and what motivated you to write about something that many people will consider non-exciting? If I may, I'll start with the, the last part of your question first. Mm -hmm. Why did I decide to write a book in the first place? Mm -hmm. And honestly, the reason, the answer is twofold. One, I cannot tell you how many people over the years that I have met who've told me, I read the e-myth. And shout out to Michael Gerber for writing The E-Myth, which is a, an excellent book. The book warms you up to the idea of why systems and processes and operations matter, mm -hmm. but it doesn't tell you how to do it. Mm -hmm. How do you actually implement it? It warms you up to the idea. It doesn't tell you how. So that was one reason for writing the book. I wanted to do a true how-to book that if you were to pick up the book, and if you were a do-it-yourself, roll up your sleeves and get it done type of person, you could ideally read the book and you would be able to implement and build your own business infrastructure in your company. The second reason was that I was looking for a tangible product for my business mm -hmm. and I didn't have it. I always knew the importance of having a product in a service-based business mm -hmm. I just didn't see myself writing a book. And honestly, Dr. Solomon, I hit a wall. Things became, to be quite frank with you, things became very stale mm -hmm. in my consulting business. And I was getting bored and I thought, I have to breathe new life into this. I hired a digital coach at the beginning of 2018. Mm -hmm. And one of the first things he told me or suggested was that I write a book. And I said, I, I can't write a book. There's no way. No, 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 I'm not doing it. And he said, I'm looking at all of these blog posts you've written, all of this other material that you have out here online. The material is already here. It's just a matter of you formulating it and putting it, 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 putting it excuse me, into book form. And that's what I did. 
I, I leveraged a little bit of what I had previously written, but the book is actually written in stories. So oftentimes when people read the book, Dr. Solomon, they tell me that the characters in the book are so lifelike. And the reason is because each of those characters really is a hybrid or excuse mm -hmm. me, not a hybrid, but a composite type character that represents anywhere from four to five different people that I've actually worked with. So that's mm -hmm. why this, the stories seem so life. The stories themselves are actually fabricated, but it's rooted in actual situations that I watch different clients work their way through and, and overcome certain operational obstacles. But the book if I may, yeah, <laughs> the book actually has a lion on the front and people always ask with a spotlight shining on them. And the, the reason is when we start our businesses, it's all about the marketing, the branding and the promotion. Of course it should be. You have to get the word out about your product or your service, but often, unfortunately, operations takes a back seat to all of the attention that the sales and marketing components of your business receive. And so what can happen if that, if that imbalance remains, you know, um, you know, where you, you, don't, you have marketing up here and operations is always down here. Once you start to actually receive or realize a return on the investment of your marketing dollars, then you have a different type of problem. You no longer have not enough customers knowing about your company, you have too many. And because you haven't taken a look at putting in a solid foundation to make sure that everything operationally can grow and scale along with the demand for your product or service, you can actually still lose your company, even though you have more business than you can handle and customers are raving about your services or your products. If you cannot sustain that, then the business can still fail. On this point, Alicia, what part of the entrepreneurial library would this book fill? That is such an excellent question. And I'm, I'm so glad you asked that question. When it comes to the subject of operations and, and to, to clarify for those who are listening and watching, when we say operations, we're talking about those behind the scenes activities that are taking place in order for you to deliver your product or your service. The not so sexy stuff as we've been saying all along. The, there are books about operations, but mm -hmm. they're usually reserved for either manufacturing companies mm -hmm. or the very large companies. Mm -hmm. So what happens when you are this micro enterprise, you're growing very rapidly, you need help you need someone who understands Lean Six Sigma, for example, and they understand process improvement methodologies that are proven to work, but you can't afford them. You can't afford the, the, the consultant from McKinsey or KPMG or EY, and they're not going to work with a small business. They're used to working with other very large enterprises. So where do they go? And that's, that's the gap that this book is filling is not only is it teaching you these concepts, but it's also telling you how to actually implement them in your company. Mm -hmm. And until we meet next time, keep safe, keep motivated, keep resilient, and see you in the next episode in the Professional Lounge with Dr. Solomon. Thank you.